Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today's Tuesday, January 16th, day 102 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our political correspondent Hal Schneider and health reporter Renee Gert Zand. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. I sent you both a laundry list of topics, and I hope we get through most of them, including what former IDF Chief of Staff Aviv Kochavi said at a ceremony at Mount Herzl yesterday, and how Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is seemingly pushing for domestic arms production. Renee is here and will update us on this winter's COVID and flu, as well as promising med tech that is being used in the war right now. All this and much, much more when we're back. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So... Educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. First, some headlines. This morning, more than 50 rockets were fired from the Gaza Strip at the southern city of Netivot. In a statement to residents, the municipality says there are rocket impacts within the city, but no reports of injuries as yet. The attack on Netivot appears to be the largest rocket barrage from Gaza in several weeks. The IDF said it carried out an airstrike overnight against a Hezbollah anti-tank guided missile launcher in southern Lebanon. IDF troops operating in northern Gaza located some 100 rocket launchers. Former U.S. President Donald Trump says that Israel would not have been attacked if he were still president and vowed to solve the situation very fast if re-elected, speaking after his big win at the Republican Iowa caucuses. Renee, yesterday an elderly woman was killed and 17 people were injured, including at least seven children and teenagers, in a car ramming and stabbing attack by two Palestinian terrorists in the central Israeli city of Ra'anana. What can you tell us about the injured this morning? So the update from the hospitals this morning is that 16 people are still in four different hospitals in the center of the country, uh, including seven children and teens at Schneider Medical Children's Medical Center. Um, one of them is the uh, 16-year-old teenage boy that we reported on who is in very serious condition after surgery for spinal and head injuries. He's in the ICU, uh, sedated and intubated. 
Um, and in the other hospitals, uh, the victims have differing levels of uh, injuries. Among them uh, are two men in Balinson and two people at Mayer uh, who are uh, in the ICU in very serious condition. Thank you, Renee. Yesterday, former IDF Chief of Staff Aviv Kochavi acknowledged at a ceremony at Jerusalem's Mount Herzl that his actions as the military's top general will have to be scrutinized as part of an investigation into the failures that enabled Hamas's October 7th bypassing of Israel's high-tech border barrier and the ensuing mass onslaught. Now, Kochavi spoke during a memorial event for the Lamed Hay, a convoy of 35 Five Haganah soldiers who were ambushed and killed during the War of Independence in 1948. Tal, were you at all surprised at the timing of his remarks, first of all? Yes, Amanda, it was uh, somewhat surprising because he hasn't spoken a word since October 7th, and everybody were waiting. I mean, he was uh, chief IDF just until a year ago, and many of the resolutions and the preparedness of the military was uh, on his shoulders. So what he said yesterday, he said, I'm responsible for the decision and action made um, in the IDF during my time, and I constantly ask myself what we could have done differently. This is the big question, specifically on the intelligence front, but on other fronts as well. And people were asking themselves, you know, why hasn't he spoken publicly? I can tell you, Amanda, that he's been in public. He went to funerals. I've personally seen him in two funerals. People who were serving under him, you know, we had many high-ranking officers that that fell during October 7th and, and in the months afterwards. But in all of those places, he never spoke. And we think that one of the reasons that he spoke yesterday is because a year passed since his stepping down and the procedures some sort of, you know, let him speak more freely than before under kind of military guidance. guidance. But it seems procedural talk, not the real, the real thing. Maybe he is in shock. I don't know. Okay, thanks for that, Tal. Renee, winter has arrived late in Israel this year, and I have to say the skies are very blue above my head today. This weather comes along with a correspondingly delayed beginning to the respiratory disease season. So what are we seeing in Israel in terms of COVID and flu? Right. So we do uh, see that uh, we're, we we have this year a, a very late winter, late beginning to winter, and it's coinciding uh, with the fact that we have our hospitals filled with the war wounded. And now we're seeing people quite sick with COVID, flu, pneumonia, bronchitis, other typical winter diseases uh, having to be hospitalized. There's been a significant uptick in these diseases, uh, these illnesses. Doctors are are uh, characterizing it as an outbreak, but not yet an epidemic. So no need to panic about this. What we're looking at is um, currently, as of today, we have 305 hospitalized COVID patients. This is near uh, nearly tripled uh, the number since last the last week of December. So we're seeing a, a significant increase. Positive diagnoses are up 18.5% since just last week, and 19.5% of those who are being checked for COVID uh, are coming back positive. So this is all very concerning. 
again, remember, these are official numbers. These are people who are actually going to the doctor or going to the clinic or the hospital and being checked. We have many more people who are at home sick, not checking, uh, or just taking the home test and not reporting it to anyone. So we have to take that into consideration. On the other hand, only about 15% of Israelis have had their flu shot this year. And this is uh, a significantly lower uh, percentage as compared to last year and uh, the year before that. And also there's a similar decline in uh, COVID shots. So doctors are saying it, there is still time to rush out, you know, make an appointment at your uh, HMO and get your flu and COVID uh, boosters. It could really help you, your family and the community. Because basically the winter has not yet come. And so if you get your shot now, you'll be protected for what we expect will be winter in January, February, maybe March. Right. I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not a panacea, but uh, it can it can help, definitely. And people should try to get protected. Renee, thank you for that. We'll go to a short break. The surge in anti-Semitism since the October 7th attacks has changed the Jewish community's relationship with a slew of social and political issues. In the newest episode of The Glue, Jewish Federations of North America President and CEO Eric Fingerhut talks to Congressman Richie Torres, who has proved to be a pro-Israel bridge builder about everything from DEI to social media. Their conversation is fascinating. Listen to it and subscribe to The Glue with Eric Fingerhut wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said twice this week that Israel intends to reduce its security dependence on the import of military products. Tal, you have a, a long piece on our Hebrew sister site, Zman Israel, delving into this issue. What are you seeing? Right, Amanda. So from the beginning of the war on October 7th, Israel has seen mass amount of, of airplanes and ships coming into Israel's, uh, 99% of it from the United States. And those cliches that we always hear about the good connection and about United States security commitment to the state of Israel have come to life. I mean, we haven't seen anything that large since maybe Israel was established in '48. Almost 250 airplanes and seven big ships full of equipment, jeeps, emanation, bombs. So the, the question that comes to mind is how come we don't have enough for our, of our own munitions and, and, and factories? I mean, we do have them, obviously, but it was not even close to being enough. And uh, what the prime minister said is that he said we need to work on our own production lines and to enlarge our own production, not to be dependent on other countries, you know, mostly the United States, obviously. And I looked into those factories and to see are they ready and Israel will not be able to stop bringing here airplanes. But definitely on the munition side and on the missile side, Israel will probably will have to change its ways. We have the security assistance coming from the United States. It is granted in U.S. dollars. So Israel has to buy equipment and munition in the United States in dollars such that the American industry is also provided with, you know, workforce and so on. 
So essentially, it sounds to me like what you were saying is that it could be a two-pronged thing. One, that Israel really wants to become more independent with its munitions, at least. We are not in a state where we can produce our own planes or other kind of uh, larger vehicles. But at the same time, it might be a cost-cutting measure. And on the third hand, it could affect our relationship with the United States in that Israel is supporting the American economy through its munitions purchases. Sounds like a bit of a knot, no? Right, it's a bit of a problem, but the less money you spend on munition, then you can spend the money on airplanes, ships, the big things. So Netanyahu's claim, they can't really be 100% Israeli independent production, right? We are still very dependent on the American industry. But other than that, it means a lot of, you know, more local workforce, which is probably a good thing because, you know, economy here needs needs a boost. And it means more, um, you know, change in the, in the compromise of the things that Israel buy, I, I suppose. Really interesting, Tal. Thank you so much for that. Renee, turning back to you, in the beginning of the war against Hamas, soon after October 7th, you reported on a family of a mother, father, and daughter who were severely burned, Ariel and Alei Golan, and their 18-month-old daughter, Yael. And they received treatment here in Israel using a pretty high-tech, really interesting enzyme. Tell us a little bit more about how medtech is being used in the current war. Right. So uh, after I did that story, a couple months later, I have I started this series of stories on um, on medtech and biotech, all Israeli developed, that is being used to uh, to treat the the war injured. And it's been really fascinating because I'm seeing everything from artificial intelligence to uh, robots to high-tech simulators to virtual reality. It's been really, really interesting. And I've been going to different hospitals to see how these different uh, technologies are being used. And one of the um, these new biotechnologies, it's actually not that new, but it's it's being used a lot in this war, unfortunately, because we saw many people like the Golan family burned on October 7th, and also soldiers who are burned in, when they're wounded uh, in, in combat. Um, this product is called Nexobrid, and it's made by an Israeli company called Medewound. And um, as you said, it's an enzymatic application. It's simply a, a special powder and gel that are mixed together and applied to severe wounds using nothing more than a, than a tongue depressor, like you see at your doctor's office. Um, and it helps basically slough off um, the the wound that's caused by the the necrotic tissue that's caused by the the burns, um, and this replaces uh, traditional surgery and skin grafts that can be very long and painful for the patient. Um, and instead of days or weeks of treatment, this the treatment can be done in in simply one day. Um, and I. Uh, spoke I got a I spoke with uh, 
Professor Joseph Haik, who's the head of the National Burn Center at uh, Sheba, where the Golan family were treated. And he said they're doing really well. Uh, the father and uh, baby are back at home and doing really well. And the mother um, is is doing a lot better, and, but she's still in, re- in rehab. I actually saw a uh, report on them on Israeli news uh, yesterday, and they, they are doing really well after the horrible ordeal that they went through. Um, just I just want to mention that this Nexobrid has been bought for the strategic uh, national stockpile of the United States. Um, and now the United States has invested in the company to develop uh, a stable version of the uh, product that can be used in the battlefield and doesn't have to be stored under specific conditions uh, like we have in the hospital. And uh, it, it's really a, an exciting uh, advance to see how, how patients can be helped in this way. Definitely. Thank you for that, Renee. Now, Tal, we have a few minutes left. And as we all know, we are the people of the books. And that goes for the soldiers in Gaza as well. And you put together a bit of a a list of what soldiers are reading. Can you share some of the top titles? Right, Amanda. So the list was based on talking to parents of soldiers who are now in Gaza. We're talking not on reservists, but all only on the soldiers who are between the ages of 18 and 22 were serving inside, not on the border. And apparently lately they have a little bit more time on their hands because the, as you all may be reading in the Times of Israel, the, the, the way the army now conducts itself in, in Gaza, it's a bit different from the beginning. So they have more time and they submitted lists. So we were surprised to see they, they're looking for Hebrew um, epic novels, you know, some sort of those novels that, that span over time and wide context, um, like of the novels by Eshkol Nevo uh, and by Amir Gottfreund. If, if you know those two authors, they're, they're really great. Um, they also ask for translated uh, literature, uh, mostly by uh, Stephen, King, Stephen King and Daniel Silva. And some of the soldiers asked to bring them an Hebrew to Arabic phrasebook, you know, those little small books where you have complete sentences and you can just say, say them in Arabic from Hebrew to Arabic. So um, other books were more of uh, about fallen soldiers or, um, you know, soldiers that they knew their names while they were in high school. Some of them fell during 2014 Gaza War. Uh, um, um, ben El Sarya, for example. Um, and what else? Religious uh, soldiers ask for Mesilat Yasharim. It's a book from the early 18th century, but it has uh, a rabbi that, you know, put it forward in, in a current day Hebrew with more of an you know approach to young people. So they ask for that. Interesting, interesting list. It was weird to see those soldiers after so many months of very, very intense fighting. Suddenly they need crosswords, they need puzzles, they need stacks of, of cards. So it gives you a sort of um, understanding of the things that are very different at this current phase of, of the war. Obviously, not all of the soldiers are asking for books, and, and many of them are still very, very busy. But you do have some, some of the soldiers that they can take a book on those cold nights out there. 
Todd, thank you so much for that insight. Really interesting. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have any comments or questions about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.